How many guys know about Helen Keller? You guys know who that is? Maybe you read about her story. Well, she she is an amazing woman. She see she was um, born in eighteen eighty. But the thing that made Helen Keller amazing was that she was born blind and deaf and mute. Now, can you imagine that? You can't see, you can't hear, and you can't talk. But what happened was at the age of five, her teacher, Ann Sullivan, taught her to communicate somehow, even through all her disabilities. She grew up to eventually go to Radcliffe, which was the female version of Harvard, because women weren't allowed to go to Harvard at that time. So she got into Harvard through all her disabilities. She eventually started the ACLU. She became friends with people like Mark Twain. And to this day, movies have been made about her, and everybody at school learns about Helen Keller. Well, I, I, Helen Keller wrote this one quote that stuck out to me. And this is what she wrote. She said, it is a terrible thing to see and have no vision. Again, she says, it's a terrible thing to be able to see but have no vision. You see, I think a lot of us, especially those of us who grew up in church, we all see the gospel. You hear it every Sunday. I'm sure your parents talk to you about it. You've heard the stories of Jesus. But I'm afraid some of us might not have gospel vision. What I mean is that we don't really see the gospel for what it is. We don't really see how significant this message is. You see, the way I think about it is like the, the gospel should be like the TV in our living room. It should be the front and center where we pay attention when we watch a show. But for many of us, the gospel is like the radio in our kitchen or music in the background. We acknowledge it, we hear it, but it's not in the forefront of our attention. We're not really focused on it. We don't really think about it. It's just there. And so today what I want to do is like an optometrist. I want to have a vision test for you guys. You know, I say, can you see these letters, A-E-I-O-U, or whatever it is. I want to have you guys go through a test through this story. Because as we go through the story, I want to see, are you able to see the gospel in every single character in the story? Because I'm afraid maybe some of us, even if we've heard the story before, we might miss something. We might miss some of the gospel truths in here. We might miss how this story applies actually to us. You see, today we're going to be talking about a blind beggar, thank you James, uh, named Bartimaeus. And for all intents and purposes, he should be the one who is blind in the story. He is physically blind. He should be the one who, who everyone looks down upon, who everyone feels sorry for. But when upon closer examination, what we're going to see is that Bartimaeus is actually the only one who can see in this story. Everybody around Bartimaeus, including Jesus' disciples, are completely blind to who Jesus is. And so the irony of the story is that we're going to look at a blind beggar, but it's actually going to be the blind beggar who teaches us how to see the gospel. He's going to show us who Jesus really is and why he matters. And so like the movie scene, I don't know how many guys like movies, I love movies, and one of my uh, favorite movies are the types of movies where it goes through different people's perspective, right? It goes through one person's perspective, you replay the story, it goes through another perspective, and at the end it all comes together. Um, that's what we're going to do today. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the story from three different perspectives. We're going to look at it from the disciples' perspective, then we're going to look at it from Bartimaeus' perspective, and then finally, we're going to look at it from Jesus' perspective. And from each person in the story, we're going to learn a different lesson about the gospel. So the first perspective I want to go over is the disciples' perspective. And what we're going to learn from them is this. There we go. What we're going to learn is that pride 
lies. What causes your vision to get blurry is pride. And the disciples are, are the clearest example of some of the most prideful people in this story. See, the first thing we're going to see with the disciples is that pride blinds you to Christ. Now, in order to see this in this context, I want you to turn back to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Because Mark does a very interesting thing here. Starting from Mark chapter 8, verse 22, up to today's story, everything has to do with spiritual blindness. See, Mark is setting it up as bookends. He starts with the story of a blind man in Bethsaida, who was blind, and then something was put on his eyes that he was able to see, but it was still blurry. And then later on, he was able to see even clearer. So the idea was that Jesus, oftentimes, would teach a teaching and then give a real-life example to illustrate that teaching. And so from Mark chapter 8, verse 22, up to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, every story is connected together around spiritual blindness. You see, starting at Mark chapter 8, verse 22, there's a blind man in Bethsaida, and, and this, the example Jesus wants to teach is that sometimes spiritual blindness comes in stages. You might see Jesus a little bit, but eventually at some point it gets a little blurry for you. And the real life example he uses to teach this is Peter. You see, if you look at Mark chapter 8, you'll notice the story about Peter. Jesus just told his disciples that he's going to die and resurrect on the cross. And he's going to do this three times between Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 11. And every time Jesus tells the gospel, I'm going to die, three days later I will resurrect, somebody shows their blindness. And in this case, in Mark chapter 8, we see Peter. If you look at Mark chapter 8, what happened, Jesus tells him, okay, I'm going to die, I'm going to resurrect. And Peter, Peter, this is right after Jesus says to, uh, Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, right? And Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. God revealed this to you. And right after that, you know what Peter does? He hears about Jesus saying, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And so he takes Jesus aside and he starts to rebuke him. He starts to give him a little amendment, right? He starts to treat him like a little kid, like a parent treating a kid. And so Jesus tells Peter, what? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because like the man in Bethsaida, Peter can see that Jesus is the Messiah, but his vision is still a little blurry. He sees that Jesus is the Messiah, but he doesn't see that Jesus is the crucified Messiah. And so he's having a hard time with that truth that he rebukes him, which is why right after he rebukes Peter, this is what Jesus says in Mark 8, 34. If anyone wants to follow me, they must deny himself, take up his cross, then follow me. Again, the issue for Peter was what? Pride. And Jesus says, because of your pride, Peter, because you are so arrogant, you're not able to see that I have to not just be your Messiah, but I have to be crucified for you which is why you're not able to understand the gospel. You're blind to it. Turn a page over to Mark chapter 9. This is the second time Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. And again, right after a group of people show their pride and spiritual blindness, all the disciples begin to argue about who will be the greatest in God's kingdom. I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be on this side. I'm going to be, the, oh, look at my throne. I'm going to have this and this and this. And they're just arguing like a bunch of kids about who's going to be the greatest right after Jesus told them that he's going to die and resurrect. And notice what Jesus says to them. Notice what he points out to them. He tells them in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, if anyone would be first, right, because that's what they're arguing about. If you want to be first in my kingdom, 
He must be last of all and slave of all. You see what Jesus does there? He exposes her pride again. You're still thinking in worldly terms of ambition, right? Trying to become the top guy, the CEO, the president. You think it's all about selfish ambition. What I'm telling you is through my kingdom, it's about humility. If you want to be first, like you're arguing, then deny yourself. Be humble. Be a slave. Why did the disciples miss this completely? Why were they blind to this truth? Because of their pride. The third and final time, Jesus predicts that he will die and resurrect. This time is James and John. Apparently they didn't get the message from Mark chapter 9. So they thought, maybe we have an inside track to Jesus because if you didn't know, James and John were Jesus' cousin. So they're like, okay, Jesus, like, we heard you, but come on, you have something a little special for your cousins, right? Come on, nepotism, I mean, family business here. And so they go up to Jesus, James and John said, make sure we're the second and third in your kingdom. Make sure we are on the right side and your left side. And again, we see their pride come out, their ambition come out. And so what happens? What did Jesus say to them? Mark 10, 32. He says, whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. Do you notice a common theme in Mark chapter 8 up to the story we're going to see today? Three times Jesus talks about, I'm going to die and resurrect. And three times the disciples are so caught up with being first, being the best, about their pride. They're blind to the gospel. And every time Jesus reminds them, my gospel is about humility. My gospel is about denying yourself. If you want to be first, be last. Be the slave. Be the servant. And then Jesus gives a real life example of what he's going to do for them in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the disciples up to this story are blind to Christ. They don't understand who Jesus really is. They don't understand what it means to be a servant like Jesus. All they see is that Jesus is, his golden, is their golden ticket to heaven, is their golden ticket to success and fame and power. And they look at Jesus like a genius instead of seeing him as Lord and Savior. Well, the second thing you see with the disciples is that it also the disciples, or the pride also blinds you to others. Turn back to Mark chapter 9. If you look at Mark chapter 9, verse 38, you notice that the, the pride of the disciples didn't just blind them to Jesus, but it caused them to treat other people in the way Jesus never wanted them to treat them. In Mark chapter 9, verse 38, there's a group of people who are ministering in Jesus' name. And what do the disciples do? They tell them, hey, since you're not one of us, you're not allowed to minister in Jesus' name. And so what does Jesus tell them? Whoever is for, whoever is not against me is for me, right? In other words, you're not the only disciples. You're not the only ones doing my kingdom work. There are many people outside of your little clique that are working for me. You see, their pride was about being exclusive, being in the in crowd, and Jesus had to correct their vision. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. We turn over. Little children want to come to Jesus, but the disciples start rebuking the little children as if to say, Jesus doesn't have time for people like you. Because children weren't important in that society. They were kind of devalued. They didn't bring much utility. And so they're thinking, why would Jesus waste his time with these children? And Jesus stops the disciples and he brings the children to himself and he uses them, an exam uses them as an example of humility. And so Jesus exposes the disciples' pride of superiority. And then right before 
Uh, Jesus gives a statement in Mark 10, 45, starting in chapter 10, verse 17. You guys might know the story, but there's a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And this rich young ruler said, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And what did Jesus say? He pinpointed his idolatry. All right, just sell everything that you have and you come in. And what happened? He says, can't do it. And he walked away. And how did the disciples respond? They looked at that rich, young, successful ruler. They said, if he can't get into heaven, he can. It's impossible. And so what does Jesus say right after that? He says, even the Son of Man came to be served, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As in other words, you're looking at this rich young ruler with the wrong vision. You think that is the appeal. You think that is what you, want, you should become. When I'm telling you, if you want to be important to my kingdom, you become like me. You become a servant. You become last of all. And so what we see in the disciples is that their, uh, their pride blinded them to Christ, but also blinded them to other people. They didn't know how to judge people accurately. They looked down on children, but Jesus says don't do that. And they looked up to the rich young ruler, but Jesus says don't do that. Because you're looking at people based on your world system value, and you don't understand the gospel kingdom values. I'm switching everything upside down. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. The powerful, powerful will be weak, and the weak will be lifted up. Those who humble themselves will be lifted up high, and those who pride will be humble. And so the question is, coming into this story, the climax, Mark chapter 10, verse 46, if you're reading along from Mark chapter 8, there's one question you're thinking about. Have the disciples learned their lesson? Has their vision changed? Do they finally see the gospel? Have they humbled themselves? <clears throat> we see our answer when Bartimaeus comes out in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says that he began to cry out. And notice what verse 48 says. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Many, including the disciples. In other words, when this blind beggar wants to see Jesus, the disciples look at the blind beggar and said, shut up. Jesus doesn't have time for people like you. You're a nobody. You're a lowlife. Nobody cares about you. Shut up. In fact, the verb, cry out, is a continual verb. He was doing this over and over. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. And the disciples kept saying, shh. We're on the way to Jerusalem. He has an important mission to go. This is our final pit stop. Jesus doesn't have time for you. The disciples haven't learned their lesson, have they? They are still blinded with pride. Let me ask you a question. How's your vision of Jesus and other people? You know, the, you know the problem for a lot of us who grew up in church, including myself, is you grow up thinking that you're special and better than everybody else. That just because you're not doing certain quote-unquote sins, that you, somehow you deserve grace while others don't. You know one of the clearest signs that you see the gospel is when you're able to show grace to other people. Because you understand none of us, none of us are better than that person. Whatever group of people you want to put in, the homosexual community people look down upon. Drug dealer, 
murderers. What makes us any better than them? Well, because you sat in the building every Sunday? You see, like the disciples, because you're in a certain crowd, it is easy to think that you are in that crowd because you deserve it, you earned it, and somehow you're better than everybody else. But Jesus actually chose the 12 to show them that they're actually worse than everybody else. You see, at least this blind beggar can see Jesus, what we're going to see. The disciples had Jesus for three and a half years after access. You know, they are able to talk to him every day. They still can't see Jesus. Why? Because of pride. Because of pride. You know, back in college, I went to a very uh, conservative church that was all about teaching the Bible. And, and so me and my friends, we got very knowledgeable. You know what happens when you learn a lot about the Bible? You get pretty confident in yourself, right? And you, you're kind of like, yeah, you don't know that verse, you don't know that story. And we got a little bit puffed up, knowledge puffs up, right, as Proverbs says. Well, what happened was that another friend of mine from college, he was going to a, a, a cult in the name of Christianity. It was called like the Church of Berkeley. It was called the local church. And so she was part of this cult, and I knew she was part of this cult, and so I was trying to tell her, Mary, you know, you're part of a cult, you don't know the truth, you gotta hear the gospel, I gotta, you know, I gotta go to a, a preacher that tells the truth, so you gotta come to my church. And she was like, all right, fine, I'll give it a chance, you know, let me see what it's all about. And so I brought her out to a service one Sunday, and you know, thankfully my pastor preached the gospel like he always does, very biblical, all about truth, and I was very fired up. I was like, finally, her eyes will open to see the truth, and she's going to leave the cult. Well, about a couple weeks later, she didn't come back, and she went back to her cult. So I was a little confused, so I called her up, and I said, what happened? I mean, didn't you hear the gospel? I mean, didn't you see how your cult is wrong? And I will never forget what she said to me. She said, okay, Andrew, I understand what your pastor said, and I can see how that comes from the Bible. But when I was there for two weekends in a row, not a single person said hi to me. I was invisible. Not a single person talked to me afterwards. Not a single person wanted to get to know me. And I know you think I'm in a cult, but at least those people love me. And I didn't feel any of that at your church. Because I don't know your church, so I'm not here to judge. But what I can tell you is that people can tell when you care about them. People can tell when you can see the gospel clearly or when you can't. You see, what pride does, it gives you tunnel vision. And you make everything about yourself. You come to church, me, myself, and I. What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? And you're blind to all the blind beggars who desperately need to see Jesus around you. I wonder how many of us are the very reason, like these disciples, who are preventing other people from seeing Jesus. I mean, is it possible that the Christians in churches might be the reason why a lot of the people who are desperate for Jesus aren't getting to Jesus? Pride blinds. Pride blinds. Just like my friend, there are many people who desperately needed Jesus. And what the church needs to do is not just elevate the truth of the gospel, which is important, but to have clear vision, to see that person as an individual and not a number. To see that person as a person made in the image of God and not just another quote-unquote sinner you have to save. See, do you see people with clear vision do you see who Jesus is with clear vision? 
Because if you really see who Jesus is, you wouldn't be so concerned about your career track. You wouldn't be so concerned about your status because the God himself became a slave of all. And if he's able to drop down to that level of humility, what makes you think that we shouldn't go to lower than he did? Pipelines. So now let's rewind the story. And now let's see the story through the perspective of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. And what we're going to see with Bartimaeus is that desperation sees. Desperation sees. You know the difference between the disciples and Bartimaeus in this story? It's not that the disciples lack knowledge. It's not that the disciples didn't see Jesus on a daily basis. The difference is, is that Bartimaeus was desperate for Jesus and the disciples were not. Let's look at Bartimaeus. Who is Bartimaeus? Well, we're introduced to Bartimaeus in verse 46. And if you notice, the, the main characters are the disciples and the crowds, Bartimaeus and Jesus. They're all coming to Jericho. And the reason why Jericho is important is because this is the week of the Passover. And as you don't know, Passover is like a Super Bowl. It's the number one holiday for the Jewish people. So millions of Jews will be going to this one city called Jerusalem. But the problem was, was that this hike to the city was very tiring. I mean, they didn't have cars. And so usually everyone would make a pit stop at Jericho. That was the final city right before Jerusalem. It was around 14 miles away. So if you know, if you guys do like a long road trip journey, you want to take that last final rest. You want to rejuvenate. You want to get ready for the donkey and the horses and all your stuff. And so Jericho was a very crowded place where all the passerbyers would go. Well, Jericho happened to be a good place where all the blind beggars would go because there's a lot of tourists there. There's a lot of people passing through getting to Jerusalem. And what we know from history is that blind, blindness was actually pretty common. You see, during that time, they didn't have good medicine, so a lot of people became blind with sand on their eyes, and their eyes got infected. And um, <clears throat> blindness was pretty common to the point that, you know, if you're blind, people actually didn't have sympathy for you. And you know why people didn't have sympathy for you? They believe that you did something to deserve to be blind. See, there's this idea of karma in the back of those days. What did your parents do? They must have sinned because that's how you're born blind. Or you used to be able to see and your eyes got infected. Oh, you must have made God really mad. And so nobody has sympathy for blind beggars. There wasn't a charity for blind beggars. And the reason why they were beggars is because no one would give them a job. They were considered cursed by God. And so Bartimaeus is not the only blind beggar there. There were probably hundreds of blind beggars in Jericho. We know from Matthew in the same story, we see there's at least two blind beggars. But Mark chooses to focus on Bartimaeus. We know Bartimaeus, his name means the son of Timaeus. He's one of probably thousands of beggars. And as Bartimaeus is sitting on the roadside, getting maybe changed here and there, probably not much for people that are sitting through the grapevine, he hears, Jesus is coming to town. Somehow, he knew who Jesus was. I mean, he heard about him. He probably heard about the miracle Jesus did in Mark chapter 8 when he healed the blind man from Bethsaida. It's not that far off, so maybe it spread through the grapevine. I mean, there's a guy who can heal blind people, and if I could just get healed of my blindness, my social stigma is gone. I can get a job. I can probably get married. I won't be ostracized. People won't look down on me anymore. People won't spit at me anymore. People won't think I'm cursed by God. All I need is to see this person, Jesus. I just have to get a meeting with him. And so as Jesus is walking by, 
in verse 47, notice what Bartimaeus says. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. He said, Jesus, son of David. What sticks out to you? Son of David should stick out to you. You know why? That's the first time in the whole Gospel of Mark that anybody called Jesus Son of David. His disciples never called him Son of David. All the other miracles and feedings, nobody called him Son of David. But Bartimaeus called him Son of David. Do you guys know who David was? Right? David was the greatest king of Israel. There was a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that from King David there would come a son or an offspring who will come and establish his kingdom forever. This will be the king of kings, the lord of lords, and this person will have the power, according to Luke chapter 4, to open the eyes of the blind. Bartimaeus, somehow, who, even though he wasn't allowed in the temple, blind people weren't allowed in the temple, he wasn't allowed to hear stuff about the Bible, somehow he put two and two together. If this guy can heal blind people, this must be the son of David. This must be the king of the Jews. This must be the one everyone's been waiting for for thousands of years. Bartimaeus sees who Jesus really is. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a genie. He's not just a golden ticket. He is the son of David. And nobody else saw that except for him. Notice what else he said to him. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't say, Son of David, give me what I deserve. I'm entitled to vision. You know, if I was born blind, like Bartimaeus were blind for a long time, I think it would be very easy for me to think that God owed me something better, right? I mean, he could have easily been resentful his whole life. Look what you did to me. I've been blind for 20, 30 years. The least you can do is give me vision. But he doesn't say that. Do you notice the humility in his voice? Mercy. Mercy means give me something I don't deserve. Give me something I'm not entitled to. Give me something I haven't worked for. I know I don't deserve to be in your presence. I know I don't deserve healing. I know I'm not an important person. I'm a blind beggar. So all I ask out of your mercy, can you give me sight? Have mercy. Have mercy on me. Do you notice how different Bartimaeus looks at himself compared to the disciples? The disciples talk to Jesus as if they're entitled to their position. Well, of course I can talk to Jesus however I want. Of course I can be second or third in his kingdom. Of course I can be the greatest in his kingdom because I've been with Jesus for three and a half years. I'm one of his twelve. But Bartimaeus asked for mercy. And when people told Bartimaeus to be quiet, do you notice what he did in verse 48? It said, but he cried out all the more. He didn't stop. He didn't care how people viewed him. He didn't care what the, the hurdles were. He kept screaming out for Jesus. He kept saying, I need the son of David. Have mercy on me. In fact, the word cry out is the same word used to describe raven to crow. Right? You guys get that picture? And that's what it is. 
Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. 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 That's why people are getting annoyed. Shut up! Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up! Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he wouldn't stop screaming. Why? Because he knew once Jesus passes town, I'm hopeless. I'm done. I don't have a chance at life. This is my one chance. He is my only hope. Stop, Jesus, please, son David, just stop, stop, and look at me for a second. The reason why Bartimaeus sees Jesus for who he really is is because he's desperate for Jesus. Listen, if some of you want to see Jesus clearer, you have to be desperate for him. Jesus will never be an add-on to your life. Jesus will never be a, a benefit to your life. Either he is Lord overall, or he is not Lord at all. Either he is everything that you want, either he is your complete treasure, or he's not going to be your treasure at all. See, Jesus is not going to let you have mistresses and girlfriends on the side. He wants complete devotion from his spouse. And he doesn't want you to come to him until you see him for who he really is. I'm not just a genie. I don't just give free bread. I'm not just going to heal you. I'm the son of David, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And until you're desperate to see me, you're never going to see me. I really am. See, this is the way Jesus said it. He said this in Luke 5.31, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, if you think you're okay, you're never going to go to Jesus. Only people who are sick and know that they are sick will come to me. And Jesus says, I'm not going to waste my time with Pharisees who think that they're like me or almost like me. I'm not going to waste my time with people who are prideful and arrogant like my disciples who don't get it all the time. I'm going to stop for those who know they're sick and need me. And so here's the cries of Bartimaeus going through the crowd. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And you can imagine like hundreds of people walking through this crowd. And Bartimaeus doesn't know where Jesus is because he's blind and he's trying to search and he's crying. And everyone's trying to be quiet. And all of a sudden, the two words of grace comes in verse 49. Jesus stopped. Up to this point, he's been walking. Up to this point, he's been saying, I have to go to Jerusalem. I can't stop. He talked about it three times. Even though people weren't getting he kept moving, he kept moving, he kept moving. And a big crowd was following him. And all of a sudden, he just stopped. And all the crowd probably had to stop with him. Like a ripple effect happened. And they probably wondering, what are you doing? What happened? Is Jesus going to give a sermon? What's he going to do? And the word stop does not stop. It's actually, literally, he started to stand continually. It wasn't that he just started to stop walking, but he just stood there in front of the crowd and he just kept standing. Now you can hear the whispers and the murmurs. What's going on? What's what's doing? Why is he talking? I mean, he said he kept, he's told us three times he has to go to Jerusalem. Why is he moving? And to everyone's shock, 
He tells them, bring that guy, the blind beggar. Let him come forward. And so what does the crowd say? They look at Bartimaeus in verse 49. They said, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And he didn't know where Jesus was. He could hear his voice, but he's blind, so he's trying to move through the crowd. So maybe some of the crowd sounded, you know, maybe some of the disciples were saying, he's down here, go, 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 he's calling you. And Bartimaeus let go of everything that was on his lap. He would have had his cloak and his money there, but he just threw it off, jumped up, and started running into the crowd. And he didn't care if people looked down on him or how he came off. He was trying to get to Jesus, and Jesus has come to me now, Bartimaeus. You see, for a blind beggar, that cloak with money was their security. That was all that they had. And if you notice, desperation not only sees Jesus, desperation gets rid of any hurdles that gets in the way of Jesus. When you're desperate for Jesus, it doesn't matter how much money is on your lap. It doesn't matter what your security is. It doesn't matter what your future plans are. Everything goes out the window when you see Jesus for the first time. Bartimaeus runs up. He doesn't think twice. And he finally meets Jesus. Can I ask you a question? How many, are, how many of you are desperate for Jesus? Not that it would be nice to have Jesus. Not like going to a nice restaurant for Jesus. But like you haven't eaten in two weeks and you need Jesus that much. You're that hungry for him. How many, how many of you are at that point or have been at that point? Listen, I don't know what it's like to be blind. So I can't really relate with Bartimaeus about how desperate he must have felt. But I've seen people who are very desperate. Around 10 years ago, I was in seminary, and I got a phone call from one of my high school buddies. And he called me, and he was like, hey, Andrew, uh, I need to call you. Um, you know our buddy James, and he's one of my close friends from high school. James, he's, he's missing. So I was a little confused. James is missing? What do you mean? Like, he got kidnapped? Or... He got drunk and walked off. I mean, he does that sometimes. I mean, I don't know what's going on. What do you mean he's missing? And then what I found out was that James and another one of my friends, late one night they went to the beach area, by the cliffs to like kind of skip rocks and hang out on top. But it was a very stormy night, and one of the waves was really big, and it washed him away. And so my friend called the police. The police sent out a search and rescue with the helicopters going on. So me and all my high school friends, we drove to that place and we're kind of scoping and trying to find James. We were there for about seven hours looking for James. After about seven hours, the police stopped their search. They just told us, that's it. We have to just, he's gone. And so one by one, all my friends, we all went home. The next day I decided to come back because it's near a Starbucks to go to a Starbucks. And I noticed there was one person standing at the cliff still. One person hasn't left that cliff. It was his mother. See, she didn't care about how she came off to other people. She probably didn't care if people whispered, uh, does she not know? She looks ridiculous, it's over. She was so desperate to see her son that she was willing to be impractical and come off as a crazy person. And she stood there and didn't eat for five days. 
until someone had to force her to eat. I've seen desperation. Me and my friends, we were kind of desperate to see him. James's mom was desperate for him. Have you ever been that desperate for Jesus? Not, I'll give it five hours. Not, okay, I'll do it until everyone else walks away. But you stand there and you say, I'm not leaving until I see Jesus. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care if you laugh at me. I don't care if you look down at me. I don't care if my friends think I'm cool. I don't care if whatever my parents might say. I am not leaving until Jesus shows himself to me. See, all of us become desperate for things that we really want. If you lose a job, I'm sure all of us are desperate for money when we're broke. When we get sick, I've seen people get sick, they're desperate for their health. Their prayer requests is about health, health, health until they get better. I've seen my friends and myself, when I lost loved ones, we are desperate to see that person, even if it doesn't make sense sometimes. But how many of us are desperate for Jesus? Not just the moment you became a Christian, but daily, desperate to know Him. You know what I can say to you without even meeting you? What you need more than anything else in life is more of Jesus. I don't need to know your problems. I don't need to know your successes. Even if things are going well, you're going to ask me, what do I need? You need Jesus. More of Jesus. You don't need more friends. You don't need more money. You don't need a better job. You don't need to have more prestige. You don't need to be a quote-unquote better person morally. No, what you need more of is Jesus. Even if you have a lot of Jesus, you need more of Him. Because there's never enough Jesus to satisfy our thirst. That's how desperate Bartimaeus was. It wasn't enough to just know that Jesus was in town. It wasn't enough to even know that Jesus stopped for him. He had to come up to him face to face because he was so desperate for him. Now let's rewind the story back. Now let's look at the story from Jesus' perspective. And what we'll see from Jesus, finally, is that mercy saves if you look at the story, up to this point, Jesus has done many miracles. He's healed blind people already. I'm pretty sure he's probably exhausted and tired because he's been traveling. He's probably going through a lot of stress as well because he's thinking about that moment when he's going to have to go to the cross. And we know Jesus is stressed because the night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying so much, it said that his sweats were like drops of blood. He was going through a lot of trauma physically. He's prayed all night. And this was right before the crucifixion, this story. And so I'm sure if Jesus wanted to just check out for one moment, he had every right to check out. I mean, we should give him a pass if this one time Jesus said, you know what, I've been helping everybody else for this past three and a half years. I just need one night to myself because I'm about to die. I'm about to get crucified. But Jesus doesn't do that. Because what Mark 10, 45 tells us is what? Jesus says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that many includes even blind beggars. So when he hears the cries of this blind beggar over and over, somebody who says, Son of David, that stuck out to Jesus. Oh, he's not just crying for healing. He knows who I am. And so in verse 51, Jesus stopped. Bartimaeus comes forward. 
And he says to him, what do you wish that I might do for you? What do you want me to do for you? A complete servant, even up to his death. Not, what can you do for me? Not, what is your resume? Not, what, which parents talk to you? Which church do you go to? He didn't need to know anything about our names. All he needed to know was this. What do you want from me? Because I know you know who I am. Because I heard you say, son of David. Well, verse 52, or oh, verse 51, he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And so Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now there's an interesting double meaning here. That word or phrase, made you well, is literally save you. And so look at that verse again. This is what it means literally, verse 52. Go your way, Jesus said. Your faith has made you well slash saved you. Your faith has healed slash saved you. And we know Jesus is talking about a double meaning here. Because not only does Jesus give him sight, but notice what Jesus tells him after he heals them. It says right after, he recovered his sight and followed him, Jesus, on his way. You see, the phrase on his way refers to discipleship in the Gospel of Mark. What Mark is saying is that Bartimaeus became a disciple. And so Bartimaeus says, I want my sight. And Jesus says, your faith not only has given you sight, but your faith has saved you. It has healed slash saved you. And so can you imagine when you're blind, the first sight, the first picture Bartimaeus saw was of the Savior? Finally, he saw Jesus. I mean, he saw Jesus in his heart before. Now he sees him with his eyes. He saw Jesus spiritually, but now he sees Jesus physically. And Jesus says, you can do whatever you want. You can go your way. You can go back to your life, whatever you want to do. But when Bartimaeus saw Jesus, he knew there wasn't any other person he wanted to follow. I'm not going to go back to my old life. I want you. And I don't want just healing. I want you. And so from that moment on, Bartimaeus followed Jesus. In fact, Bartimaeus followed Jesus when Jesus went into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. In fact, Bartimaeus followed Jesus when Jesus got crucified and even resurrected. In fact, Bartimaeus kept following Jesus until the end of his life. And you guys might be wondering, I don't see that in the Bible. How do you know that, Andrew? You know how I know that? Because we know his name. You know in the Gospel of Mark, nobody else is named who was healed by Jesus? We know that Jesus healed Peter's mother. We don't even know her name. You know all the thousands of people he did feedings for and miracles for in the Gospel of Mark? We don't know a single name. But we know Bartimaeus' name. And do you notice where this story is placed? It's placed right before chapter 11 when Jesus goes to the cross. This is not just a healing story. This is the final healing story. This is the final miracle that Mark reports. And in fact, remember what I mentioned in Mark chapter 8 up to Mark chapter 11? Everything is about spiritual blindness. But every person was blind until we get to Bartimaeus who sees. Matthew doesn't tell us the name of Bartimaeus. Matthew says there's two blind beggars that day. Mark tells us the name. You know why? Because Mark is writing to non-Jewish people. And the non-Jewish church at that time knew who Bartimaeus was. That's why he's named the son of Timaeus. You see, if you look in history, there was a man in Bartimaeus who became a pastor. 
of one of the churches to the non-Jewish people. And so the readers of this gospel are reading the testimony of one of the pastors. Isn't that an amazing story? I was a blind beggar, nothing to offer, didn't have a single penny to give to Jesus. And all I, all I did was cry out for mercy. Jesus stopped. Jesus healed me. Jesus saved me. And from this day forward, I've been following Jesus. Is your testimony any different than Bartimaeus's? I know none of us here were probably physically blind. All of us were spiritually, spiritually blind with pride. We were all like the disciples at some point. We were around Jesus. We heard the stories our parents told us, maybe. Our pastors tell us. It's just numb, though. It doesn't get through. Because we keep looking at it, me, myself, and I, me, myself, and I, me, myself, and I. But at some moment, at some moment, whether it's at a retreat, or when you're reading the Word, or because of your parents, or a pastor, somebody who taught you the Bible, or taught you what Jesus did, at some moment, the Spirit opened up your heart. At some moment, your eyes finally saw Jesus for who He really is. And from that moment on, your heart has been saying the same thing with Bartimaeus. I want Jesus and nothing else. You can keep your money. You can keep your status. Give me Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Because some of you here haven't experienced that. Jesus has been walking through and he's coming to our town here. He's coming through Frostburg today and tomorrow. And if you just let him walk by because you're not that interested and you just don't care, there's nothing else I can tell you about the gospel really. There's nothing I can do to make you see who Jesus is. Because if you don't get the vision right, the gospel's not going to make sense in your other areas of life. All the other sermons won't make sense until your eyes can see Jesus. But, if for the very first time in your life, you have finally become not just wanting to meet Jesus or know a little bit more about Jesus, but you are desperate for Jesus, because that's the only person you want to meet, Jesus will stop if you cry out. I like to think that one of the first person I'll go, when I go to heaven, the first person I talk to will be, first Jesus, obviously, second my grandmother, third my father, if he passes before me. But then I would like to actually have a conversation with Bartimaeus. And I'd like to find out how he found out about Jesus. But you know what I'm pretty sure he will say? I found out about Jesus the same way you did. Jesus saved me by his mercy. I didn't do anything. I wasn't special. I was one of many blind beggars. But for some reason, he chose me. I'm sure if someone were to ask you, why you? If you're still looking at your accolades, well, because I went to Awana. Right? Because I'm first place memory first. I'll say, you're blind. Your vision is messed up. But if I give you this vision test again, let's try it one more time. Why are you? Why are you? Why did Jesus stop for you? 
You know what you will say? Because of His mercy. Because of who He is. Not because of who I am. So how's your vision today? How'd you do on the test today? When you met Bartimaeus, did you see him as the one who actually is the one who sees everything in the story? When you met the disciples, did you see that they were actually the blind ones in the story? And when you saw Jesus, did your heart get on fire for him once again? I pray that it does. And I know that when Jesus stops for you and me together, we will meet Bartimaeus and we'll be able to sing together Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for anybody in this room who, who needs to see you first time, or who needs to see you again. Lord, I know many of us here, we get very caught up with the business of life. We stray away because of temptation, or we just become prideful and selfish in our thinking. The church lost its appeal, you've lost your appeal, and the reason why is because you're any less amazing is because we become more and more prideful and less desperate. Father, I pray that you would push our hearts this retreat to be desperate for Jesus. To want to see him for who he really is. And to see how his kingdom message transforms every aspect of our lives. Father, I pray that now as we continue in worshiping your name, that you are clear up our vision. Help us to turn away and to focus on your son and to see how we are to live in every arena of life and to follow his way like Bartimaeus. Thank you for Bartimaeus' story. Thank you for his humility. But most of all, thank you for your son Jesus who stops for the Bartimaeus in this world, who stops for me and for us. Thank you. Thank you. And help us to never lose that gratitude that we are to have each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.